to a Hope 103.2 podcast. Well, let's pray that God would help us as again we come to think on this part of his word and a tricky part it is. So let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day you've made. We ask that you would not leave us without a message as we think on this part of the scriptures. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would soften and open our hearts so we might be receptive and that this word would light up our lives and our path. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I read a story from the Queensland courtrooms of uh, a man who'd been charged with cattle stealing and uh, had been putting his own brands on cattle. But the jury that tried him uh, had also done quite a bit of cattle stealing. And so their verdict was, after a few minutes, not guilty, but he has to give the cattle back. The judge was very angry at this and said, you do not set the conditions as a jury. I just want a simple guilty or not guilty. And they went out and five minutes later they came back and said, okay, not guilty and he can keep the rotten cattle. (laughs) Now, I don't know if it's a true story or not, but it's a great picture of sort of minor dishonesty in the legal world. And uh, we come to a passage in Luke 16 which seems to deal with dishonesty and commends it. And that's what's unusual about this parable, this famous parable of Luke 16. You'll find it in your Bibles on page 1036. And I want to look at it with you under two headings this morning. Learning from the businessman, and we need to, and then warnings to the businessman. Learning from the businessman, that's the parable, and warnings to the businessman, the verses that follow. So first of all, learning from the businessman. Remind you of the story which we had read for us so helpfully, that a man is about to be fired from work, and so what does he do? He thinks ahead, there's no social security when the job is gone, he doesn't want to dig, he doesn't want to beg, and he creates a plan whereby he'll be very popular with other people, and he goes around reducing the debt that people owe the boss. It's what we would call an amended loan agreement. And the boss applauds him, interestingly, for his cleverness. The boss says that was clever. Now, Jesus' conclusion in verse 9 is a really extraordinary one. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, if you're a genius, you'll know exactly what to do with that verse now, but for the normal person like me, we have to struggle with these things. And so I ask myself, what is obvious about this story? What is a plain fact of the matter? And I can see two things. First of all, that this steward or manager is coming up to a day of accounting, just as indeed everybody, every disciple is coming up to the day of accounting, a day when we will give account for our stewardship. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you trust him and his work for you on the cross, your eternity is secure. Judgment is gone because it is past. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been given a certain stewardship. 
some time, some resources, some opportunities, and uh, in a loving but serious way, we will give account. And so the Bible says in Romans 14, each of us, even believers, will give an account. Hebrews 4, we must give an account. Hebrews 13, church leaders must give account. So the first thing we see which is obvious from this parable is that the manager knows there is a day coming of accounting. The second thing which is obvious is that he decided to make friends in the long term. His motive was not so honourable, it was quite dishonest, but his method was clever because he did make friends for himself in the long term. And you can imagine the people in debt as he comes to their house and says, what do you owe? Oh, you owe 800. We'll make it 400. And they say, is this really true? This is wonderful. How kind you are. What a thoughtful man. What a generous man. We really appreciate you. You're our friend forever. So he makes friends for himself. And therefore, we can conclude on the plain reading of this parable that it is about a forward-looking man. He knows that he will give account and he plans to go beyond the day of accounting. Now, those of you who are being challenged by the world to think about your retirement would do well to go back to the Bible and think beyond your retirement. Because if a person in this world thinks of their retirement as though that's the real goal of life, what a tragedy. Everybody is going to give account and we need to think beyond that. And we need to ask ourselves the question, if I'm a Christian and I give account for my stewardship, I hope there is much joy beyond that, not just by being in heaven, but by being able to rejoice at things that God enabled me to do. So I hope that you will think further beyond just your retirement as the world does. Now I want to ask a more difficult question of this parable. Is Jesus evangelizing his disciples? Is he gospeling them? Is he saying to them something like this? Pagans think ahead for their business. You think ahead for your soul. Here's a clever man who thought ahead. You be smart and think ahead for your eternal welfare. Here is a man, says Jesus, in my story, who worked out how he would get long-term hospitality. You work out how you'll get eternal hospitality. Because that wouldn't be a bad message, would it? Or is Jesus enlisting his disciples? Is he saying, a pagan knows how to cancel debts. You disciples, be involved in the greater work of cancelling debts. Is he saying to the disciples, look, this man in my story got a welcome from new friends. You live in such a way that when you get to heaven, you'll get a welcome from people who are grateful for your ministry. I don't want to confuse you this morning. I don't want to bombard you with options as if, you know, this is all beyond us. I just want you to be thinking, people, because you're all intelligent. And I want you to work out, once you've got over the shock of Jesus using a businessman to teach shrewdness, you have to ask yourself the question, is he teaching the disciples to plan their eternity, in which case most here this morning will say, tick the box, done that? Or is he enlisting the disciples and saying to them, join in the mission? In which case, I think most disciples will say, that's something that I need to work on and, and rethink and plan more and more carefully.
Now, a big part of your decision, whether you go with gospeling the disciples or enlisting them for the mission, is going to hang on what is said in the very third verse of the gospel, chapter 1, verse 3. I won't ask you to look it up, but this is what it says. I have written, says Luke, an orderly account. This is a very important verse when it comes to reading Luke's gospel and trying to work out whether Luke's gospel is just a hodgepodge which a whole lot of people have thrown together or whether it's actually a very brilliant systematic argument. And I want to urge you on the basis of Luke 1.3 to take Luke extremely seriously and never fall into the trap of standing over the passage and saying, well, that's weird, that's really silly, that's confusing, that must have come in from somewhere else, this must have been a real scissors and paste exercise. Just be very careful before you do that, because Luke says he's written an orderly account. To say nothing of the fact that the Holy Spirit superintends the writing of the Gospels, so we not only get them in a certain order, but we also get the content. We not only get the content, but we also get the order. Now, if we do put Luke 16 into its setting, this is where it comes. We've just had chapter 14 on the call to people to God's banquet. Many of you will remember that. We've then had in chapter 15 the joy in heaven when God respond, when people respond to God. 14, come to the banquet. 15, God rejoices over the found. 16, stewardship. A parable about stewardship, and then in case we miss the point, verses 10, 11, 12, 13 on stewardship. And so I'm suggesting to you, don't think of this parable as being a gospel message to disciples. Plan your eternity. That, of course, is important, but this is a passage which says, if you're a disciple join the mission. Be a steward of what you've received. So next week we'll see how there is a message to the Pharisees that they have to take in what they have not yet received. But this first half of chapter 16 is a parable on using well what you have received. And friends, if you're a Christian here this morning, like me, you've received plenty. Now we have to ask ourselves the question, am I willing to be a good steward and then if we, the answer is yes, we say, Lord, you've given me a new day and you've given me a certain amount of resources. Please help me to be a good steward today and every day. Now, before we leave the parable, and it's a very simple point, which means be a steward for eternal good, I want to acknowledge with you how clever the world is in its own areas. What Jesus says in verse 8a is true. Uh, The master commends the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. The people of this world are more shrewd. That's true. The world is brilliant at planning. There are men and women here who have got very great brains and gifts and have expanded their business brilliantly. You really have. You've thought, you've worked, you've done good. I was watching on the news yesterday a little item in the news on food packaging. I don't know if you saw this. The principle of the uh, little item on the news was this, that when you go to the supermarkets, you'll see a package on the shelf. 
The package is actually more than a single serve. So you think, that'll do me, but it's actually one and a half meals, or maybe even two meals. This is designed so that your appetite will grow, and your belly will grow, and you will want more. And so they are giving you more food, more drink than you need. Not only that, they will write on the back of the package, fat per serving, 24 whatever. But the packet that you've got in your hand is more than one serving. It's one and a half or two. And so the fat content is one and a half or twice what it says on the back. And this is an absolute piece of genius, I think, that here is a food company that is managing to produce packets of food. This is going to be the most exciting part of this sermon for you this morning, really, isn't it? (laughs) You're going to forget everything else except your supermarket shopping. I shouldn't have told you this story. You go to the supermarket, you take the little packet off and think that meal will do me. You're actually buying one and a half or two meals for yourself. Not only that, you read the fat on the back and you think, great, that's pretty ordinary. And you're actually taking in one and a half or twice as much as it says. Now, could you do better than that if you're a food producing company? You've actually expanded the appetite of the person walking down the aisle. They're now dependent upon you for more food. They've sold you more than you need. They've given you more fat than you can cope with. And you thought it was less than they said. You can't really do better than that, can you? That is a piece of genius. And we could multiply this story a billion times. And what Jesus says is exactly right. The world is a, is a genius. The world is brilliant. But I want to ask you, why is 8b such a damning verse for the church? Why is it that the world is more shrewd in dealing with their own issues than the believers, the people of the light? That is a damning verse, isn't it? And the reason, of course, is that uh, Christians are much too pagan. And uh, in verses 10 to 13, which is our second point, Jesus teaches what true values ought to be. So this is our second point this morning. I hope you're with me. Verses 10 to 13, warnings to the businessman. And I want you to look at verse 10, and you'll see that Jesus contrasts little. Can you see that in verse 10? With much. Verse 11 worldly with true. Verse 12, someone else's property with your own. What's Jesus doing? Well, I want to suggest to you that what he's doing is he is helping everybody who finds it difficult to stop elevating things that they can see, touch, taste, handle and who finds it difficult to start elevating things that last. Isn't that you? Don't you find it difficult to stop elevating things that will ultimately perish? And don't you find it difficult to start elevating things that will last? And so what Jesus does in these verses 10, 11, and 12 is he says, I'm going to teach you about the difference between the temporary and the eternal. And this is what he says about the temporary. The temporary is little. It's worldly. It's someone else's. The eternal, he says, is much. And it's true. And it's your own. He's trying, you see, to help us to rethink what's important. 
Let's uh, just take a few seconds on these. In verse 10, imagine a man who's got an income or a woman who's got an income. They've got some possessions. They've got some stocks. They've got some assets. And Jesus says, you've been given a little by the standards of the world. You've been given a little by the standards of the universe. But if you're trustworthy, verse 10, in your little for the good of the gospel, you'll be trusted with much. Now, this is just common sense, isn't it? If you're in the world and you're reliable, you get promoted. And if you are a Christian and you're reliable, you get entrusted with more. Show me the person who's good at the little they have, and that's the person that God almost inevitably gives more responsibility to. And the reverse is true in verse 10, that if you're dishonest with little, you'll be dishonest with much. So not only is this a very comforting principle, because some here today do have little, you don't have a lot of extra to play with, But if you're trustworthy with what you've got and you do set apart for the gospel what you can, God honors you. And of course, this is also very challenging because if you've got what you've got, but you don't invest anything in what will really last, you have to ask yourself the question whether God will give you much more to deal with. So that's the first thing, little and much. The second in verse 11, this is a discernment issue. It is the difference between worldly and true. Jesus is asking you whether you can see the difference between temporary stuff, which is really worldly, and eternal stuff, which is really true. Uh, The word for worldly in the Greek is actually unrighteous. And of course, people have always assumed from that that the Bible is very negative about possessions. The Bible is not negative about possessions. God has given us all things richly to enjoy. He's given us plenty to enjoy, and we ought to enjoy and give thanks for the things we have. But we've got to stay good stewards, and we've got to make sure the eternal dominates the temporary, and not vice versa. And the danger, of course, with worldly wealth or unrighteous wealth is that it's very hypnotic. It becomes an opiate. And so as long, friends, as you can put your possessions in the place of service, you're in a pretty good position. As long as you're free from secret devotion to temporary things, you're in a good position. I want to urge you more and more to have a good laugh at stuff that will pass. In some ways, you ought to insult and mock and keep your distance from stuff which is going to go to dust. You remember the old illustration, if I give you two boxes of stickers, one's green and one's red, and I ask you to go out of church this morning and to put a red sticker on everything that will disappear and a green sticker on everything that will last, you've got to put a green sticker on people and you've got to put a green sticker on the scriptures. They're the things that will last. But you've got to put a red sticker on the cars in the car park and the houses in the streets and the boats in the water and all the other things which are going to disappear. And you and I have got to be discerning, otherwise we'll be really fooled by this. Whereas in fact we know perfectly well that eternity is eternity and and the passing is the passing. So uh, that's what Jesus says here. Just notice that not only is the temporary stuff little, but it's worldly. And notice that the eternal is not only much, but it's true, it's lasting. And the third in verse 12, and this is the most shocking of all the verses, I think. If you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? The temporary stuff is never yours anyway. The eternal stuff is yours forever. Imagine a man looking out on his farm, his vineyards, and his cattle, and his sheep, 
And then he goes inside and he looks at the paintings on the wall and the magnificent furniture that he's collected and his house is absolutely wonderful. And he says, it's all mine. That's not his at all, is it? He just gets to walk in and sit on a chair for a bit and pretty soon he or the place will disappear. Nothing in this world, you see, is ever really ours. The only thing that we can really own is what Christ gives us, which goes into the soul, and what we give him, which is forever. Martin Luther said, I've held many things in my hand and I've lost them all, but whatever I've placed in his hands, I still possess. And Jesus is just asking us to rethink what we've got and to say, in the end, it's really someone else's. And probably I think it's capital S, someone else's. It's God's. But the stuff that we will really own is what God gives us for eternity through Christ. Peter says, you've got an inheritance that can never perish. It's kept in heaven for you. That's what we've really got to value. Now, you might say, well, I agree with all this. I'm pretty happy. I'm still enjoying what I've got, and I've got the next world as well. Now the crunch comes in verse 13. Why is it that some people don't seem to be good stewards for eternity? Verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Oh, says the Christian, that's not true. I love God and money. No, you can talk like that, but you can't walk like that. In the end, you'll walk God's way for eternity, and the eternal light will shine on everything you have, or you will walk the worldly way, and the eternal stuff will be just a little subset of life. Verse 13 is a real crunch, isn't it? You notice what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He's saying to them three things. Can you be shrewd with the eternal things? Second, can you see what's important? Can you see what's important? And third, if you can't see what's important, is it because you're divided in heart? Well, I think this is a very sobering passage for disciples. What one friend of mine said is a brutal passage. And I want to finish by asking some questions for us, and they go like this. Some of the questions are very comforting and some of them are very challenging. Here are the questions. Can you see, Christian friends, the backdrop that God is very generous to us, incredibly generous to us. In a thousand years from now, we will say to him, we were given stuff that we couldn't even understand how good it was, how generous he's been to us, and what a costly search he has made for us. Second, can you see that your involvement in the long-term mission of the kingdom and the gospel is actually going to see some people around the world lose much greater debts than oil or wheat. They will lose the debts of sin. What an incredible debt to have cancelled through the gospel. And not only that, do you realise that there'll be many people, because of your generosity, and there are many here today who've been very generous, do you realize that there'll be many people that you don't even know about because a lot of ministry just does not get acknowledged in this life 
who will welcome you in eternity with great thankfulness, who will thank God for you. That's our privilege. Have you settled in your mind that unlike the world, you will and are prepared to lose many temporary pleasures in order to be faithful, trustworthy, with greater and eternal things? Are you ready to lose many eternal things? Have you settled in your mind that you just won't get to visit all the great sites of the world? And you'll pay that price because you know that heaven is better. If you don't or can't think like this, is it because you are trying to serve two masters and God is really getting the leftovers? Have you adjusted your giving as your income has changed? Or do you still have a standard offertory that is really a bit of an insult and not gratitude at all? That's a good question. Do you think that God may have entrusted huge riches to this church for a critical time and that we really could and should be great stewards for the kingdom? Do you spend anything for the gospel like what you spend on holidays and houses? Who in the church is going to show the lead on being shrewd? And finally, if and when you enjoy the gift of heaven, will you perhaps wish that you had invested more in eternity, but it'll be too late? So better to do it while we can. Well, that's the challenge of Luke 16. Let's pray for God's grace to be wise. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message to disciples. We pray that you would put away from us the idea that this is a message for someone else. And we pray that you would help us to hear it for ourselves and to think of all the temporary in the light of eternity and to contribute as good stewards in a way which will honour you and bless many, and ultimately be very joyful. Please help us to be wise stewards, individually and corporately, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope 103.2. Thanks for listening.